I was just bored. And, and I just, I wanted to drive other cars without having some jerk face at the track going, Oh, ho, ho, I'm going to get video of you and send it to your team manager. No, 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 no. <laughs> Hey guys, uh, this is Alex Sturgeon with the Hobbytown Hobbyplex here to lead us in for the Hobbyplex Show podcast sponsored by Pivot Lending. Of course, if you let them know, pivotlending.com and get a hold of Don Zoller and you get something going with them, you can get yourself $500 lender credit or 0.125 off of your rate at whatever you guys are in there for. So either like a home loan or a refinance, something like that. But I'd like to introduce my buddy. Will Britton. Hey guys. And so we're going to have a guest and this time I thought we were going to lead in. We always try to lead in with some sort of hobby news, right? And the last couple of months, there really hasn't been any because nobody's been doing anything. Yeah. The pandemic and all. Yeah. Pandemic and all. Um, but it was announced last week that TLR has kind of broken up some of their team manager duties into regions. And one of those team managers is Zeke Bollinger. And we've got him on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah. Pleasure's all Alex's. Yeah. <laughs> Mine too. Uh, You're all right. Uh, that was an associated versus Losi joke. I get it. So uh, what I'd like to do is uh, is just kind of, Zeke, I'd like you to just kind of introduce yourself and you can kind of go over a little bit of your history and stuff. Okay. So my name is Zeke Ballinger. Uh, I live in Calder Springs, Colorado. I raced for about a year and a half or so, uh, starting back in 2010. Uh, then I got married and started doing that kind of stuff and actually stopped racing. Um, it was just a hobby for me in that period of time. And then 2014, 15 time period, I actually got a divorce and had a bunch of free time on my hands and kind of got back into racing. That's really when I fell in love with it and started putting a lot of time and effort into it. I ran for associate for a few years. And then about two and a half years ago, went ahead and switched over to TLR. I usually run two or three times a week and really just enjoy it. And you run it more, right? Yeah, but it's, more is definitely my home track. The worst part is it's about hour, 25 minute drive. So it's, it's a track and that corridor now, the, the one main highway is, uh, pretty, pretty construction filled right now. So wow. there are nights on, on that I come home and it's a, it's one lane for 40 miles and it takes like two and a half hours to get home. So yeah. that's, that's the worst part is the, is the drive to and from the track for sure. You do some eight scale stuff too, right? Yeah. Most of my eight scale stuff, I kind of stick locally. I don't really do a whole lot of traveling for the eight scale. I'm definitely a nitro guy. Is the track that held the 2000, is it 10 or 11 Nats still out there? It's not. It's, it's sad. That was actually one of my favorite tracks. I really enjoyed that place. It was a cool track. It was kind of like ours. Whereas you had this really tall driver stand and then a level, and then it just kind of went downhill at an angle. It was, it took a little bit of getting used to, but it was pretty close to ours. The best part about that track was because it went away at an angle is Colorado weather is really like bipolar. It could be 80 degrees and sunny at wow. one thirty. Rainy at two thirty and yeah. then sunny at three thirty, and so <laughs> yeah. they would dry out super fast. All the water would go off, and we could get back to racing no matter how big the storm was. Every day at like three o'clock out there, 
for the Nats that when it was there, I, I think it was 2010, but maybe I'm, I don't know, all the years blur together now, but every day at three o'clock it, it would rain or get like crazy windy all of a sudden. And it would last for like a half hour and then everything was fine after that. Yeah. The wind is why a lot of us have trailers. Mm-hmm. You, you buy, you buy enough $200 easy ups. You can just buy a trailer and not have to worry about any of your stuff blowing away. <laughs> I remember that about more too, though. I, I went to, I was at more in 1998 for the stock Nats and almost every day there, like two thirty three o'clock, something, something crazy would happen with the weather. And I remember it did rain and it was the track just like, it was dry within like an hour. It was nuts. Yeah. So we don't really, our, it seems like our tracks don't get very saturated and yeah. usually they usually are able to dry out pretty quick. So you race more. Most of the time, that's where you travel with 10 scale. You get the opportunity then to race with guys like Dustin Evans. Is that right? Yep. And uh, yep. does Chambers still race? Uh, a little bit. He's kind of been um, off and on the grid a little bit. Yeah. I think he's busy with, with life and that type of thing. And I see him more often at the scale tracks, I think. Yeah. Who else is, um, well, he's got an S4 sponsorship, so that makes sense. But who else, who's, who's fast at more right now besides yourself? I would say we've got Dustin, obviously, right. and then uh, me, and then Zach Gastelum. Oh, yeah. Forgot about Zach. How could I forget about Zach? And me and Zach are usually the two that are really pushing Dustin. You know, if, if we could go that good on a, on a regular basis away from home, mm-hmm. it would be fun. Kind of got that home track hero thing going on. Yeah. You know, where you're always faster at your home track where you got 50,000 laps on. Yeah. And then we've got yeah, another... <laughs> Right? You just need to travel more, Will. You need to yeah. get out. <laughs> I know. I I used to travel a little. I uh I've I've kind of changed my thinking on the way that I travel to races uh about two and a half, three years ago, and I actually enjoy traveling much more now. I go for the races that I'll have the most fun at. Where where I know that like a bunch of us are going or like I, I'm pretty good friends with Frank. And so if I know that he's going to a race, that's a plus. Cause I know that away from the track, we're going to have a great time. Yeah. That's what it's all about, man. Like you can't yeah. be fixated on results all the time, you know, for, uh, for, I mean, guys like me, I mean, that's, it's more about having a good time with your friends and making your car work good and trying to put clean runs in. And if you get a podium or, a, you know, make the main, that's a bonus. Yeah, for sure. I have that same outlook on traveling now, which is why I don't travel a lot anymore for RC car racing. I might do it once a year, but it's got to be something really special or something that I've wanted to go to for a while now. Otherwise, I'm like, I'd rather travel to something, you know, family related, like camping or mountain biking or something like that, you know? Yeah. It's it's real funny that, you know, now that I've got this uh, RTM position, uh, with TLRs because I had already kind of made the decision towards the end of last year. I was already committed to go to nationals. And so and that's why I didn't get to make it out to Omaha very much last year. I actually didn't make it to Omaha last year, which was kind of a bummer because there was always like an eight scale race the same weekend that the associated series was going on out there. And then nationals. I mean, that's anytime you go to nationals, you just might as well just plan on a thousand, 1500 bucks, yeah. you know, by the time oh, yeah. you do oh, yeah. five, six days of hotel. So that's a low ball that, too. And, <laughs> I know. Yeah. And so we usually try and split it. You know, I always try and go with someone to make it more affordable, but it's still, that's the thing. I won't go to a race unless I feel like I'm prepared. 
because mm-hmm. with my arms, I can't accomplish as much wrenching or gluing or any of that stuff at the race. So if it's a week out and I already feel stressed out about getting stuff done and feeling like I'm going to show up unprepared, I usually just don't go because usually when I'm, when I feel like I'm unprepared, that's usually when I feel like I'm behind the eight ball, then I don't enjoy myself and I kick myself in the butt all weekend. And so that's usually just like a sign, like, all right, let's just not do this one. But I was this year, I was just going to kind of stay in my, my bordering states. I was signed up for your guys' spring race, which, which was unfortunately canceled. I was going to do April Fools. Um, you know, I was just going to try and do all the races. You know, instead of doing two, three, $1,000 races, I was going to do five, six, $500 races and just kind of stay close to home, drive to races. But of course, this whole pandemic thing kind of shut yeah. everything down. So let me ask you about that. Well, two things. So, Ken, for those of the the audience that are going to, that are watching this right now or that are going to listen to this, explain what your, what the deal is with your arms. So basically I've got two, uh, it's called amniotic band syndrome. So essentially I was just born without arms just above the elbows and it's one of a million thing. My mom could have had, you know, 10 more children and most likely they would have all been just fine. And the way that it was explained to me is that I basically just grew faster than, than my mom's womb could expand and ended up getting tangled. And I lost two toes and I lost my arms because they basically just got tangled and pinched off in, in the very early stages of growing. So, um, in the it's not like a genetic part? thing. No, it's actually, they're called amniotic hairs. Okay. So there's a bunch of like little fibers on the inside of the womb. Uh, uh-huh. and I grew so fast that I basically got tangled in the hairs Oh. Oh. Okay. I I know. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. At least that's how it was explained to me. Right. Um, I've sure. actually never really took the time to like really look up exactly why and how because it doesn't really sure. matter. Right. Yeah. So yeah, but that's just kind of how it was explained to me when I was little. I think you've proven that it doesn't matter because you drive phenomenally and you do it with no hands. Like that's amazing to me. The first time I saw you, I was I got to be honest, I was like, what the? F-? And then I'm like you know, would talk to you and stuff. You don't even let it be a thing, you know, and it's, it's cool. Yeah. You know, you're my I, hero, man. Well, I appreciate that. Will. And I know I always like to give you a hard time, but it's because, well, you're honestly, you know, we go to tracks and race all over the country at one point or another in this like crazy, call it a, you know, career for lack of a better term, right? Like your racing career, however long you like really take it serious. We all go to races and like you meet people that are like genuinely good people, like and you just and that was when I met you at the Hobbyplex the first time. You know, uh-huh. you immediately came over and was just like, "Hey, dude, here's sauce. Let me know if you need help." Talk. Like, I'm like, I had been in the building for like four minutes, and you were uh, instantly just one of those people that um, you know just you kind of remember. So, um, yeah, Thanks, so that's, man. that's why. That's, that's why you've immediately uh, locked yourself into getting a lifetime of getting teased by me. Sure. I'll take it. Yeah. I, I know it's a, it, it's an endearing, you know, uh, yeah. way of getting made fun of or whatever. Like, you know, you we gotta, got each other. You gotta undo time. the nice. And you gotta uh-huh. undo the nice with, with a little bit of teasing. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if you didn't give me a hard time, I would have thought you didn't like me, you know? It's like what I do to the Pavels. I hope the Pavels know I'm never serious when I'm actually just ragging, I'm on, ragging on Mitchell the whole time. 
I remember, I remember one time I told, we were standing up there on the driver's stand and Mitchell starting right, right behind me in four wheel. And I, I said, I was like, if you take me out in the first corner again, I'm throwing you off the driver's stand. <laughs> <laughs> I, think he, I think he thought I was serious. <laughs> he didn't write, he didn't take me out. So, um, I want to say it was the Roar Nationals two years ago when it was at the Hobbyplex. Not the Hobbyplex, uh, Hobby Action. Uh, it was the two-wheel drive main. I want to say it was like the C main. or Yeah, no. I think I made the both Bs. No, yeah, I missed both Bs. Um, so it was the C main. And uh, Joe and uh, um, Joe Bornhorse is standing next to me on the driver's stand. And oh, I had known Joe a little bit, but never quite, you know. You know, like when I start messing with you, like I'll try and pull out a couple of good arm jokes because like you can only get people really good so many times. Uh, you only get the shock factor. And so we're lining up on the grid and I look, look over and I look Joe right in the eyes and I go, you ever lose to an armless guy before? <laughs> and he just <laughs> turns red and just starts laughing. And so, uh, at the end of the race, he looks over and he's like, you almost, you almost got me. I was nervous the whole time that you were going to get me and, and I was going to get more, more of a, a, a tongue lashing. Like uh, you're going to give you, uh, some ammo. Head games, man. You gotta get the head game started. That's uh, fun. It's all a good fun. Yeah. RC is very mental. <laughs> yeah, it is. I had no mental structure on Saturday. It's tough. I, I mean, woke up on the wrong I side went, of the bed. you guys were always able to kind of run, right? You never got fully shut down up there. Um, well, that's what I was going to ask you about more. And, and just as Colorado scene in general, we, we, the store, uh, has been open the whole time and we have been busier than Christmas the last three months, which is crazy. And the thing was, was we were, we were kind of that, that way before in February, we were really busy too, but it just went up to a whole new level these last three months and it hasn't really stopped. Right. The track, we shut it down. We shut racing down mainly for liability reasons. So we probably could have tried to club race, but if somebody would have gotten sick and they traced it to us, then I think the owner was really worried about how that would go liability wise. And so we shut racing down and then we only allowed 10 people to practice at a time. And we had the pit spots spaced like way out from one another. So we did everything we could to allow, you know, people to, to at least get some practice time in. And actually we've sold more practice passes in the month of April than, than we ever have. And that's because half of April is spent sometimes building a track, which is what I'm doing right now, you know? I got to run a little bit. I ran my my uh, my 5.0 Elite that I have once or twice when I I had to get it set back to dirt, you know, and I ran it once yeah. or twice. But that's about it. I've actually been running my crawler more <laughs> than my than my actual RC car, but I've still been doing stuff, you know. Will hasn't done yeah. anything. Yeah, I I our carpet series, the Syndicate. I wrapped that up in the first six races. So I ran the last, or I ran one more after that, and then I took the next one off. And that, because I was like, well, I haven't had a break, like a weekend off from racing in like a year. So I was, I was like, I got scooter stuff I want to do and some other things around the house I want to do. I'm going to do that that Saturday. And then the next weekend was the Techno Series, and then, um, which is eight scale for people that don't know. And then the, 
next weekend we'd gotten shut down or that's when the pandemic started. So I had not raced since late February. And, um, or I hadn't driven since late February until we started racing on dirt again. Then we raced on dirt again. I hadn't raced on dirt since, uh, I was in St. Louis in February. Yeah. So it's been a, it's been a hot minute and I feel kind of behind the eight ball, yeah. but I'm getting it, getting back to speed here. I think. How bad was it in Colorado? Did everything, I, everything got shut down for a little while, didn't I? I was trying to keep track of more of what Chad was doing. Yeah. I want to say Chad was shut down to where it was no practicing curbside pickup only mm-hmm. type of situation for somewhere in that five to six weeks period. Oof. Um, and I didn't drive an RC car for, I think it was eight weeks. So when everything started happening and I started seeing all the country shut down and races started getting canceled, you know, I think everyone has their, their view on this whole pandemic and, at first, I think I definitely played it on the safer side. I'm like, well, if we're not going to any races anytime soon, it's really dumb for me to go up there and surround myself with a bunch of people. Like, I'm just, you know, I stopped racing probably a week or two before I necessarily had to, or, you know, practice it. Right. Um, because the, the gatherings of, of more than 10 were shut down at first, and then they kind of shut everything down. We got a stay-at-home order. So technically, you were only allowed to leave the house if you were – going out for an essential reason, grocery shopping, going to the doctor, that type of thing. About three or four weeks ago, the beginning of May, they, uh, they relaxed some of the guidelines and now we're kind of back to no more than, no more than a, ga- a gathering larger than 10 type situation. Yeah. And so was it, I've been able to run a little bit, mostly practice days. Saturday was my first, I guess you could say real race day. So what they, they kind of did like a, a condensed format where they ran eight scale e-buggy in the morning for four hours. And it was three heats or three rounds and then triple A's. And it was basically, you know, two, five people groups. So one group was racing and one people would marshal, then you would switch. And then that would be a whole round. And then there would be like a 10 or 15 minute break. Um, and then they did nitro in the afternoon type deal. That was outside at your local nitro track down there in Colorado Springs. Uh, that's actually up in Longmont, so oh. it's even farther away from oh, me. Yeah, I yeah. know where that's at. That's north, right? North of Denver? It's about an hour, about an hour north of Oof. Moore. Yeah. And so it's about a two and a half hour drive for me from start to finish. But the track is dialed. Yeah, like, looks really good. When you have a place that's really good, every time you go, he's out there watering, fixing the jump bases, blowing it off. It makes the drive worth it. You know what I mean? Like every time you go, I've never been up there and be like, man, the track was really rough today or that type of thing. So he puts a lot of effort in. So we try and support him as much as we can. But yeah. that was like my first real race day. And I feel like I'm driving really well, but the mental game, you know, where you kind of slip into the, that 30 seconds of thinking about how you're driving or, you know, you, yeah. for me, I can't, I can't think and drive. Like I can't be thinking about yeah. outside stuff. Like, and my car could use grip here or I could use steering there or, you know, that type of thing. When your brain starts thinking about other stuff, you start getting sloppy and definitely had yeah. a few heat heats where I had like that dose, like crap 30 seconds where like, why am I thinking about stuff that does not matter right now? Yeah. I haven't had the, un- I call it unconscious driving. I haven't had like mm-hmm. the unconscious driving since I've been back. 
like where you're just doing it and not even thinking about it. And it's like the whole run just turns into a blur. My Saturday is basically a blur in the bad way. Yeah. Normally, <laughs> norm, normally like I can just start pushing and it, I just like can turn it on and off. Like I was getting to that point, especially on carpet. But yeah, this whole, like the last two weeks, I just haven't gotten into that uh, unconscious driving yet, but I think I'll get it back. I just need to practice more. Well, with that, we'll, uh, we'll actually do a break for uh, pivotlending.com. And now a word from our sponsors. Yeah! This is a Pivot Lending Update with Dave Rolson and Don Zoller. Get some. To help with the liquidity issues that, that are happening with servicers, Ginny May has put together a stopgap program. They will advance some payments on behalf of the borrowers to free up some liquidity to the servicers. The challenge that they're having right now is the amount of capital that Ginny May is willing to advance out to make those payments. And typically what I'm reading is that the design behind that is to offset the payment streams not received from low to moderate income borrowers. So if you take your portfolio of FHA, VA, USDA, which falls underneath Jenny, and you carve out the low to moderate income, you know, that could be half, that could be a third, it could be a quarter, but uh, it, it helps a little bit, but it, it's just, it's not the solution for what we need for liquidity. So right now, they're looking for additional measures that they can take and they're working to get, and they're also working uh, side by side with uh, FHFA, which oversees uh, Fannie and Freddie for the same solution so that they can kind of tackle this together. One of them is perhaps looking at larger commercial banks that they can um, create a conduit for the servicer to pull out capital to make the payments to the GSEs until the payments are made. But today, they don't have that in place yet. So as a mortgage lender, we're sitting on the sideline kind of watching this thing go back and forth and saying, okay, we have historically low rates. They actually could be even lower. But at this point in time, the consumer's kind of paying for it because based on the CARES Act and based on the liquidity and the servicing supply, the ultimate end buyers of this, which would be the owners of the servicing rights, are just waiting to make sure that they have a, an insurance policy that is not going to bankrupt them. Or we're also watching to see what happens with the big box banks because if nothing's done, what potentially could happen is you take the five largest banks in the U.S., and they're going to gobble up all the small subservicers and servicers, servicing portfolios because they have enough capital to make all of the payments on behalf of the borrowers. And then you have three or four banks controlling the entire mortgage industry as far as supply and demand goes. I know as part of the latest stimulus package, I've been a lot of conversations going back and forth on that. And we need a, we need a solution in our industry right now. So as soon as that happens, so you guys need to kind of keep your ears uh, open and listening, uh, you're going to see uh, some relief in the rates, I, I suspect. And uh, not that rates aren't bad right now. Like I said, we're in the low threes. 
uh, but you potentially could see rates in the high twos or even mid twos based on what the trajectory of the current MBS for a 30 year on the two and a half rate. David Olson, NMLS 16099. Don Zoller, NMLS 277589. Pivot Lending, NMLS 109995. We return you now to your regularly scheduled program. Okay, so let's get into it. So, uh, one of the reasons why I First off, your states cover most of the mountain states, but it also includes Nebraska, does it not? It does. Yeah. It does. And uh, if I remember correctly from the first time I talked to Thomas about it, um, Nebraska and Wyoming were not supposed to be part of mine. Mm. Um, and I definitely pushed and asked for that area. And, and the map, it had several versions where they were trying to figure out what was best and that type of thing. And so I enjoy coming up there. Um, and so I definitely, definitely would, would like to have Nebraska's kind of in my, my region type situation. Yeah. It's kind of, it, when I saw the maps, I'm like, okay, I, I can understand that. And then I, and then I looked at it again and I'm like, oh crap, like they split Nebraska and Iowa. And it was kind of weird to me because I always think of region eight when I think of regions like, like Roar is region eight and that's Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri. Right. And mm-hmm. I think Corey Richardson uh, has Iowa and then it splits over to you for Nebraska. And I was like, okay, well that either way, it's, it's a cool deal because basically full disclosure, I was a TLR driver until 2017 and I decided to go privateer mainly because I was just bored and, and I just, I wanted to drive other cars without having some jerk face at the track going, Oh, ho, ho. I'm going to get video of you and send it to your team manager. No, 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 no. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, so I bailed on that regard, but you know, you had, I always kill his last name, but Kevin Gahan was the team manager. And a lot of times it was difficult to get a hold of people because you got one guy trying to manage this entire country and you've got, I'm sure in that position, you got people pulling you from every single direction, trying to get stuff or trying to get information or trying to, trying to work themselves up the ladder so they can get, you know, more off or whatever, or, or a better quarterly deal or whatever it is. And then you look at the associated model and they had, they have had regional managers for a long time. And Brent Thelke's kind of in charge of the national team, which is a core group of, of, it's a smaller team. And then you've got the, the regional managers that take care of everybody else. And I think, obviously, this is a product of Thomas coming on, is it not? Uh, yeah, I think so. And I think the idea had maybe been there for a little bit. I know that I reached out probably six or eight months into me being on TLR and actually sent an email to Todd and Kevin and saying, hey, like, this is kind of how it was done in the past. And it's not that anybody's doing a bad job. It's just I couldn't imagine... I mean, I know how much my phone's been going off since last Monday. Right. Um, I couldn't imagine that for the entire country and how many emails from team drivers about, hey, my credit card is no longer active and, you know, all of those type of things, just how busy it is for one guy, let alone trying to run a, you know, a, a national 
level team and, and book hotels for Dakota and do those type of things. It's just too much for one person. And I think that when Thomas came aboard, that was his, you know, his first thing that he wanted to accomplish is, you know, we got to have better communication skills within the team. There are some areas that we could approve on. And that was his first thing that he really wanted to, to kind of lock down and then move on and, and, you know, attack some other stuff that he wants to, to go about. Yeah. A lot of that is making sure that the, maybe the smaller guys get the attention they need too. And that's very important. Yeah. And like you're saying, it's hard for one guy to do it. So like if you have, and, and maybe, maybe it, the reason why they didn't have it is because at one time, like wasn't the race team kind of shrunk down to where there wasn't a lot of regional drivers and maybe they didn't have the need for it. Now, like, you know, they're kind of building, they've uh, TLRs built their team back up to the point that they probably needed this infrastructure within their race team and to make sure everybody's getting taken care of and what they needed. And it was kind of like, you know, not like not to say it blew up in their face, but maybe it grew a little faster than they anticipated. And it makes sense. You know, it's, it's kind of the model a lot of teams have. Yeah. A lot of people didn't know that TLR in a way kind of had a little bit of this going, they called it uh, team ambassadors. Yeah. And so uh, Corey Richardson had been a team ambassador for Jose, a while. Jose was he was essentially too. at yeah, Jose. And then um, uh, J- Jeff Kaufman was also kind of doing that role up uh, in the New York area, just trying to be an extra set of eyes for the team, for Kevin going to races and just helping with support. And they all, you know, kind of had their area. And so a lot of people didn't know that they were kind of in that role or what necessarily team ambassador was. And that's kind of why Thomas wanted to change the name and bring on, you know, more, more of a structure to where, you know, what is a team ambassador, but regional team manager, you know, is very clear in the title, you know, for someone that's maybe new to the hobby or new to the racing side, like it's much more clear what my role is. I think the term ambassador, this is just coming from me thinking off the cuff here, but I think ambassador was kind of a buzzword for a while. Cause you've got like the Subaru ambassadors who, who like carry around some, some Subaru, you know, trinkets or whatever. And if they see somebody driving a Subaru, they're supposed to like say, Hey, what's up? Hey, this is coming from Subaru. I'm a Subaru ambassador. Or what they do is they come in and they go, "Mm -hmm, I'm a Subaru ambassador. Mm." Sorry, but that's uh (laughs) That's kind of like, that's okay. Yeah, it's all right. But, uh, (laughs) I thought ambassador when I heard, um, that term starting to be used in the RC world, I'm like, Oh, okay, here we go. So instead of being a sponsor driver, they're going to start calling them ambassadors. That's kind of where I was thinking that that was going to go. So I'm kind of happy that at least the guys that were getting called ambassadors are now actually team managers. Like they're supposed to be. Yeah. (laughs) And, And for me, when I hear ambassador, I think of someone who doesn't race, right? Like, yeah. a, um, like, like a professional supercross rider, like, mm-hmm. you know, like you sign a professional supercross rider, he's an ambassador. He's not a sponsored driver. You know, they, they may put a sticker on the bike and he may have a, a trophy truck or a fifth scale in the pit at races like that. To me, that's what an ambassador yeah. would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the name is definitely more fitting. To me, ambassador means promoter. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you know. And I'm not trying to like crap on the the word or the name ambassador. So hopefully, anybody listening to this that's a higher up in Horizon Hobby or something like that doesn't think I'm. It's not called ambassador anymore, right? Just to be clear, no. It's manager. 
All right. Yeah. So ambassador was a bad word for it. It, it doesn't make sense. So. <laughs> Good job changing it, TLR. <laughs> I'll say it. It was a bad idea. <laughs> so with that, uh, obviously you're now managing a small, uh, a smaller group of people from these different states. Can you also kind of like recruit? Uh, yeah, we can. Um, I don't necessarily like the term recruit. I'm not looking. So I'm going to talk about, I guess, my region in sure. particular. Yeah, go for it. So I got, a, uh, you know, this past week after everything got announced, we kind of got list of all the drivers and what states they live in and that type of thing. And after going through my list and marking off the people that, you know, hasn't raced in two years, currently races for another team, um, <laughs> bought, you know, bought X, Y, or Z and is just running something like you, like went, decided to go privateer. I have seven states that had eight drivers. Yeah. And, and, you know, the majority of them, I guess, were here in Colorado because other than Omaha, I think that uh, those are probably the, the two strongest scenes. racing scenes. Yeah. You know, you, you don't hear a lot of racing in North Dakota. And so there's no need for 12 guys or, or that type of thing. For me, yeah, I definitely want people kind of spread out and something that I did. And I actually haven't reached out to you because I knew I was coming on and I, I, feel like I have a pretty good idea of what your racing scene is up there from traveling up there. But every track that I had never heard of before or never kind of went to before, I actually reached out to every track owner in my region to find out what their racing scene was like, whether or not they had a hobby shop at the track or even off-site to determine if I sponsor somebody here or sponsor two guys here, what is how is that going to affect the hobby shop? And, and get an idea of where my races were and where the hobby shops were and who was racing and who wasn't racing. And that was kind of my first goal. And then I actually reached out to Chad here at Moore and I said, what is the number, right? Uh, if an average dur during a regular non pandemic time, you know, if your average Saturday night is 50 bodies, what is a realistic number for one company to sponsor? Is it one out of the 50 people? Is it, 10% out of the 50 people? Is it, what is, what is that number? You know, just to kind of get an idea of what, from the hobby shop's point of view, because if we don't have hobby shops and we don't have tracks, there is no need for me being a regional team manager because there is no team. And so that's something that we've all talked about kind of within, you know, we've had meeting last week with, the, with all the regional team managers and Thomas, and we're going to continue to do that at least every month. I think TLR had actually been one of the harder companies to be a sponsored driver for even, you know, I've the first show we did of this podcast, I kind of went on a little sponsorship rant just because from my end, a lot of it had to do with tires because the hobby shops are going to make the most money from consumables. So tires, wings, bodies, wraps, we make a 65% markup on body clips, stuff that people are going to, are going to go through a lot that that's where the hobby shop can actually make some money and stay open. It's not the entry fees. The entry fees go in back right back into the track. Or in my case, the entry fees go into paying for me and the track. So when I start seeing sponsorships of shock oil, uh, not just tires, but stuff like shock oil, bodies, pit mats, just these little things that some of these places are willing to, kind of give away. I mean, sometimes I give away stuff for our races, but you got to participate in the race in order to get the stuff given away. I guess 
what I'm saying is it seemed like for a little while there, the last couple of years, it had gotten really easy to get a, a great discount or to be on a, a chassis sponsorship. To me, it feels like it's sort of swung the other way now because I know when I said, when I, when I told Kevin, I was leaving at TLR, he's like, are you sure? <laughs> like, yep, I'm positive. I, I work at a hobby shop. I'm good. But the implication of that was you're not going to just be able to get back on if I, if you call me a month from now, you know, mm-hmm. because there was a lot to give up there. And I think, I think I've seen that happen. You don't hear about all these guys coming to the track now and, and showing me off a box of shock oil that they got for like 10 bucks. I don't see that anymore. You know, they're going upstairs and they're buying yeah. their shock oil like they're supposed to. You still kind of see it with tires a little bit, but even that I don't think has gotten out of hand like it had been in the past. So there's a lot fewer like tax free rides, is what I call them. Yeah. Because I mean, the discount they get is pretty much just the sales tax you get off of paying at the hobby shop for some stuff. So, like, yeah, there's other companies. I remember somebody at the track told me they were getting like a 15% deal on a company's tires. And it's like, dude. Like I, I and I feel like a lot of those guys that do that kind of thing don't really last that long. Like it's more like the guy that's like yeah, it's frustrating. Kind of flashing, flashing the pan kind of racer, and then you know the the hardcore guys or the guys that or the the core group of guys that you have coming to race. You know those are the the guys that I think that like they add value. I think that's the thing. Like a lot of companies kind of look at now is like. Okay, so we have 50% drivers here, here, and here. How much value are they adding? And I, I have a deal with Associated and J Concepts and Reedy. And regardless of what somebody's car is, I try to help. You know, I try to add value to my deal because there's a lot of uh, drivers that don't do that. Or like even, I, I feel like maybe selling, like having a good car that anybody could try at the track. And, uh, you know, and they can go upstairs and buy a kit, like just based off of getting to drive your car, that adds more value than somebody that just won a worlds or something, you know, is like the people that are going to be buying new vehicles. They might not even know they're there. You could race these cars on a world's level. So it's like, I feel like the guys that were getting the kind of the, sponsorships that really didn't have a lot of like the tax free ride type deal. They didn't add a lot of value and they got burned out and then, you know, they kind of go away. So it's like the whole, the whole problem kind of worked itself out, I think. Mm -hmm. But then now companies are, I hope are being a little bit more picky on who they choose. And, um, you know, like all of the, the sponsorships I have, you know, I never had to turn in a resume you know, or anything like that. I was always, you know, asked or I just like, I was going to leave a team and I asked if I could have a spot. It was no problem. You know, uh, you did a lot of good work for us in the past. Thanks for coming back. No need for a resume, but you know, getting back to the point, the sponsorships that didn't necessarily matter and they kind of hurt the hobby shops. You know, a lot of those kind of went away and you never hear about a guy with, you know, two wheel net sponsorships, you know, yeah. one for each side of the car type of deal, you know, but that's just me. That's what I think. So to bring it back, that's good to hear that you approached, you know, a lot of these places 
about uh, about that and you talk to Chad because uh, that's really important. I mean, it, you, there's this balance of what our hobby has become of having sponsorships and just being a hobby. There's this balance that we're trying to find. Club racing is important, I think. Like, I, I feel like club racing is very important because not everybody's going to travel. And if they want to, I'm the first guy to say anybody can come with me, you know, from our track and try to build a group to go with. You know, and, and kind of getting back to the, the second part of what Chad said was, it depends on the people who are being sponsored. Not to, I guess, toot my own horn for the lack of a better term, but he, he straight up, yeah, he, he straight up said, look, you and Dustin buy very little for me, but you sell far more for me right? than you would if you were unsponsored and just buying your own stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the, the help and the things that we do and the advice that we give when we're at the track directly makes more money for Chad in the hobby shop than if we were, weren't sponsored and we just bought our stuff. And so yeah. it's, it's very much about the people that we're sponsoring, not necessarily the, the amount of people. It needs to be the right people. And I kind of like have like a, a, a list, jot it down of, of kind of what I'm looking for. You know, and one of the, the best things, the highest things on my list is for a lack of, you know, like if it's a young kid, it's different. You're not necessarily going to go over to Caden Fuller and ask him to build you a ball diff. But Mike is part of that program. Right. right? Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. So, like, Mike is the knowledge, you know. And so it's a situation where you got to look at the whole picture. But if you're constantly the, the guy asking, how do I glue my tires or how do I bleed my shocks, the simple things that the new people don't know how to do, then you're probably not ready to be sponsored is the way I'm kind of looking at it. You have to be at least knowledgeable enough that somebody that's off the street that have never opened a kit from one of these companies could come up to you and you could explain the correct way how to build everything. You may not be the fastest guy and that type of thing, but you need to have the knowledge to be able to actually help people. And so that's kind of like pretty high on my list, even more so than necessarily the overall speed because it's the knowledge and making sure that the new people have things built the correct way and will allow them to have the most fun with their new kit. We've all seen people that came into the hobby shop, bought a brand new 5.0 or B6 or whatever the case may be. They just go put screws into holes. The car could not be built any more incorrectly and then go watch them do donuts for three hours and never come back. And that's like the worst case scenario. We got them to try the hobby and no one was there to go, hey, man, like, I know you're new, but that just doesn't look right. Can I take a look at your car? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's and that's something that that uh, that's kind of like my minimum thing. And I, and I feel like for the most part, at least in my region, everyone that's sponsored by TLR are those people are willing to reach out and say, hey, man, why don't you come over here real quick? And, you know, I've at, at my track, it is high grip, but there are still things you can do wrong with your tires, with it being so abrasive, you could, you could burn five sets of rears up to one set of fronts because the two old doesn't really burn off front tires, but the customer doesn't know that his front tires have no foam left and they're gummy bears. And that's why the car steers into the ground on a weekly basis. I'll throw a set of tires to somebody and say, just try these fronts, go make five laps and tell me if it fixes your car. 
just mm-hmm. so that they have an idea because they don't know. Like the tire has tread on it. The tire has yeah. tread. It's not worn out. You know what I mean? And on a two-wheel drive, that's huge. The mm-hmm. tire choice in the front can make the car the best car in the world or absolutely junk. Those little things that, that I need the guys to do. Yeah. And like your average, you know, your average uh, guy that's just getting into it, maybe run, just run for a year or whatever. You know, like you said, he's going to see there's still tread on the tires, but um, you tell him his front inserts are blown out and that's why, you know, they're probably going to be kind of hesitant to spend another 20 bucks mm-hmm. on a set of front tires across the shelf. But if you can hook them up, like, hey, try these. Oh, man, this is so much better. Let me go buy some tires. And they won't even they'll have uh, less reservations about making change. Yeah, you know? exactly. What was Chad's number? Did he give you it? Or was his answer that answer? <laughs> his number with some hesitation is, is, you know, I would say no more than 10%. Yeah. You know, so if he had 50 bodies in the door, he wouldn't be alarmed if he had five of the right people from a company. Right. Now, obviously, th- there's a lot more companies than there used to be. And that's kind of why he put that, that asterisk is, you know, if it's five guys who are the right guys that are helping my regular customers, the other 40, then it's okay. If it's five guys who sit over in the corner and act like they're too good to be talked to, that's not the right five guys. You know, I'm definitely trying to keep that in mind when I'm looking at somebody and and right now, and I don't know if maybe it's the right mindset to have. um, But if I look at, if someone sends me a resume and, you know, it kind of checks all the boxes, his one or two home tracks or say eight scale tracks, and those tracks don't have a hobby shop, which is very common here in Colorado, mm-hmm. is is the eight-scale tracks are just a track in a field type deal. Mm-hmm. I, I would be more willing to support them knowing that they don't run at a hobby shop or at a track with a hobby shop because, you know, there isn't – it's not directly affecting them. I think I'm definitely – at least at the beginning, going to make sure I'm a lot more careful when I sponsor somebody who's directly racing at one of these tracks that have a store. If I, if I sponsor somebody at the Plex, it's directly affecting Alex's sales, either positively because that person may help grow the, the hobby there, or it could do it in, negatively because he's going to brag about his, you know, 50 cent shock oil type deal. Right. So <laughs> just trying to be aware of, you know, who we're sponsoring and where is, yeah. is, is really the biggest key for me, you know, and if they're active, because there's no point in having someone sponsored if they run every six months. Yeah. Every What's the point? Months. It's not doing anything for them or us. TLR had a pretty good setup there for a little while where you would, uh, they had their TLR forum and we used to, you know, do our, I think it was quarterly, uh, race reports on there. I used to be really good at that. Mm-hmm like what J concepts does right now is, is pretty nice too. Cause you can just, they'll, you know, they'll call, Hey, what did you do this week? And then you get on there and then every once in a while you get put on the national, you know, live RC press release, which is kind of cool. We had talked about Thomas. Was it a month ago? Something like that. Something like that. It was a while ago. Whenever, we, it was like the day after it happened. Yeah. And it was like right when the pandemic started too. Maybe yeah. it was way back in March. That'd have been two months ago. But we had talked about him because of, of what he was able to do with Jason at J Concepts, kind of bringing a lot of that over to his new position as, as the national team manager. So, and I've already seen they do like some live streams and stuff like that now too. Yeah. 
And I think some of that was already in the works as far as like Frank's build video and Dunford's build video. And, um, you know, the one thing that I'm really excited about is that they started posting these things on YouTube where they're like, you can find them again, mm-hmm. you know, cause Frank and, and, uh, Frank especially has always been really good. I don't remember the last 10 scale kit that re-released that Frank has not built on live from start to finish. Yeah. But when you only post them on Facebook live within two weeks, you're never finding that thing again. You know, so it's good that we're posting them on YouTube because six months down the road, someone can type in, you know, 22 X four build video and bam, the whole playlist comes up of building the kit in order and and that type of thing. And I I think that's, that's awesome. And it's a, it's really good for us. Yeah. Was it the JRXT that had the video that came with it? In the box as an instruction video. I thought that was in a, I thought Associated had a, had a VHS about, it was Jammin' Jay Halsey's thing or whatever. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'm mistaken. I, I thought Losi had one. I don't ever remember Team Losi having a video with their, with their vehicle. Sorry. But anyway, I don't yeah, think, it reminds me. That, that was before my time for sure. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you're youngin'. I used to hang out in the hobby shop and just like, drill all over the videos and stuff. I'd, I'd buy videos of like how to build an RC car and I hadn't even had one yet. Cause I, still I have, wanted one so bad. I still have my 94, <laughs> 95 associated videos. My, a lot, my 96 one got eaten by the, by the, uh, BCR. Yeah. I was pretty bummed out. And that happened by the laser disc player. <laughs> laser disc. <laughs> when I was a kid, I had an uncle who had a laser disc and I thought that that was just like, the greatest I, thing I ever. I have one. I was like, oh my God, he must have so much money. And it, he didn't really have any, that much money. He just had a cool laser. It was Lee. Lee had a laser disc back in the eighties. You know why I have the, the laser, a laser disc player? No, I don't. So there is the, there's a, a Beatles movie that was only released on laser disc. Oh, okay. And that I makes sense. And, I was and, going, my uh, mind was going the, somewhere totally different than that. No, no. Okay. It was the only way you could get it, and you still can. I don't believe it's ever been released in any other format really? other than the Laserdisc. That's yeah. interesting. I was going to say, uh, so like my first race 10-scale kit, just to kind mm-hmm. of give you an era, it was the, the B4.2 World Edition, like the very last one. That was the uh. first race kit that I had gotten, and uh, Cody Newmandal actually built that car for me, and I was like brand new to the hobby, right? Like I had raced like eight scales like two or three times, met Cody and Larry. Um, and then Larry actually was like, Hey, Cody will build you a 10 scale car. Come up to Dittmore, come race. Cody will have it all ready for you. Like just get your electronics. He'll build the kit and you just come run. And like, you need to run in the winter. Cause I wasn't planning on running in the winter. And, uh, I remember I, I got showed up and kind of got it all set up and looking back on it, it's, it's actually pretty funny, but I ran for two weeks and never put any shock oil in the car. Um, so uh, I remember Cody walked by and he goes, what, what oil did you ever put in that? That thing looks thin. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? What's shock oil? You built me, no, you built me the car. He goes, well, yeah, but you know, I just thought you would put oil in it when, when it was ready. Like I didn't want to leave oil in the shocks and that kind of stuff. And I was like, no, I just thought it was built. So I went out there, never set right. Like I didn't know. And so (laughs) we had somebody come into the store this week that, uh, Bought the uh, the Traxxas big bore shocks the four pack and didn't put shock oil in it and I was like dude I'm like he's like what's wrong with these shocks man 
I'm like, what do you mean? And I went like, you know, with my hands up and down. I'm like, holy crap, there's no oil in this. He's like, you got to put oil in them? I'm like, well, yeah. So I showed him how to do it. And I reminded him, uh, this guy that we have a how-to on our YouTube uh, channel here that specifically goes over how to uh, replace your, uh, your oil and your Traxxas shocks. It's like my sixth best uh, uh, video, actually. Pretty happy with that. So that was fun. Yeah, and people will keep referring to it over and over and over again. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's the plan. So what do you got? Has more started racing then? Yeah, so right now, more is still limited by no more than 10 people in the building. And so they're kind of doing the stock in the morning, you know, two, five people eat. And then in the afternoon, I know the plan was to run more of the mod group, maybe the 13.5 four-wheel and mod two-wheel group um, in the afternoon. I haven't partake in that. I think this is his second weekend in. I've definitely, because of the drive mainly, you know, Yeah. and uh, I don't really run a ton of stock um, or have it at least in the past. And all my buddies that I, you know, really kind of sit with and enjoy racing with, they're all kind of more on the stock side. So if I was in the afternoon group and they were in the morning group, you know, it's kind of mm. part of the reason why I go to the track. And so we've been kind of doing the eight scale stuff and, you know, getting our names on the list to go out and have a practice days. And, um, I've been doing the, the Tuesdays and Thursday practices, the evening group at more, I think it's a five hour period. So that's interesting. He's doing it like that. Didn't David Olson a couple of weeks ago, maybe come up with something like, like splitting it up, uh, like a morning session and an afternoon session. We, when we were trying to figure out how we we're going to get back to racing. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. He did. I hope that's working out good. Because they need that income. They need to be able to get people in the door, get people running, then then have them start buying stuff, showing their friend, and then they get into it, and then their neighbor gets into it, and it just it just snowballs from there, you know? Yeah. That's how you get your stuff to grow. Just out of curiosity, you know, you, you mentioned earlier you have a, you know, you break in tires and stuff for your track. What 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 is, like, your tire break-in procedure or your tire program look like for more? Um, like okay. what sauce do you use? Do you use a foam buster? Do you prep your foams? If you look at any of the, the more recent TLR setups, uh, and Frank does it, uh, depending on the, on the surface, sometimes you'll see a, a Zeke mod on the phone foam. That's just kind of what we call it. Um, okay. and so I will actually, uh, V cut my rear foams. Okay. Um, but I actually, I actually do it on a drill. So I put the foam on, on a wheel inside out mm-hmm. and then I just take a little metal file and you just hit the foam with the metal file and it cuts a perfect V in it or a square or a round or whatever you decide how aggressive you want to get. And I can do 10 sets of tires in five minutes. Um, you know, it, it's super fast to just kind of hit the file on the foam. Um, and so that's what I do for the rear tires. I don't do anything to the front foams. Um, I definitely like my front foam as firm as possible. And then I'll make the, I'll make the chassis steer, especially on two wheel drive. And then, so the first two weeks, three weeks, maybe the track is in, it's going to be more of your standard clay tire. If you are really concerned with going fast right away, you might scuff the front edge of the tires a little bit and kind of knock the front edge of the pin off. Um, Mm -hmm. More is usually genuinely uh, abrasive enough that within two or three runs, your tires are broken, ready to run for the rest, you know, the rest of their life. And so you don't, I don't generally sand tires for more when the track is new. 
I would say within that two week, three week period, the track will get hard and we'll pretty much run S3 slicks for the rest of its life. So is that a, a tire uh, ground to a slick or is that like a uh, inversion? Cause you, you run proline tires, right? Yeah. So we always pretty much always run electron front positron rear, whether it's clay or like an S3 slick and we just make them into a slick. Um, we've, okay. we've had the primes and we've had the inversions. They're just never as good as a tire mm-hmm. that's sanded down. It probably has to do with the thickness of the car- carcass and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think that it's a uh, talking with Daniel. It's, it's some of that. I mean, obviously they could make a tire with a thinner carcass, but when you mold a tire, that tire, part of that process is, is obviously it creates a smooth surface, you know, the way that the tire is molded. And so if you take that and put it on your car, it's not the same texture as a tire that was sanded down. Yeah, it's and, not as porous. And in the past, um, it's been a few years since I tried it, but I, I tried to sand a set of primes, you know, a, a tire that was basically already a slick. And a tire that's already a slick almost does, is almost harder to sand than a tire that had tread for some reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost just easier just to mount up a set of treads, sand them off, call it good. So how how long does a set of slicks last at your track? Yeah, it's more about the foam. So okay. I will especially the front foam for me is is really, mm-hmm. you know, I know other people probably like more of a, a, a stiffer rear foam than I would uh, generally, but for me the front foam has to be good. You know, no air yeah. gap. So when the front foam goes, a lot of times what I'll, I'll do is, is I can re-foam a set of tires once or twice because we found that the S3 stuff is almost better when the carcass gets thinner, but you still have a good foam underneath of it. But once once you get to the point that the tire is snapping, you're losing forward bite, or not forward bite, but you're losing forward drive. You know, right. The wheels are spinning, the car's not going anywhere, and it just that's kind of where when you can't fix the snapping is pretty much when you mm-hmm. got to throw them away. For me, it's like when the tires are making noise that they're usually not gripping. So, like if yep. your tires are barking, like they're making a bunch of noise, that's your tires like screaming for help, right? Mm-hmm. So, like when your tires are silent, uh, that usually means you're staying one to one with the track. And so, um, I'm actually this might be slightly controversial, but I am a big fan of tire warmers. I, I I've have, never bought. I haven't bought a set yet. I've just stuck with the heat gun. But, uh, you know, I, I want to set, you know, and for me, like I get that it's an extra added cost and that's a big negative, right? Mm-hmm. Anytime we make it harder for new people, that's a negative, And I totally agree, but there are tracks around the country that are very similar to the, the, the Plex where there are a lot of lap time to be found by burning in some sauce, especially when, when the tire is new. Oh you know, yeah. Our getting track the tire hot, getting definitely. the sauce in. Yeah. Um, and for me, or at least I have this perception of it being much healthier to sauce a set of tires, put the tire warmers on and let them sit for 10 minutes than it is to burn in a set and breathe in all of the evaporating liquid wrench and the smoke. And it's much easier. It's much cleaner for the hobby shop because there's not, you know, liquid wrench soaked rags being left behind and black stuff all over the pit benches. Um, I'm actually, I think, I think there's very few negatives other than, you know, it's one more thing to buy. Um, right. When, when my tire warmers go bad, I'll buy another set instantly because I think, you know, it's, I think it's a positive. Yeah. I, I should, I should invest in a set. 
I, how much are they? Like the much, do you use the much more ones? So the first set I had, uh, was a set that I got off of eBay. It was called GT power. Mm -hmm. And it looks very similar to the same box of the much more and some of the other ones. At least they have the same style connector for the bands. So I had one of those and I have bought the much more bands and I used those for probably a year. And then a buddy of mine actually had one of his kind of, you know, basically a capacitor inside on the board popped. And so right before nationals last year, we just ordered two much mores just to make sure that we were covered for the nationals. So, yeah. So you had, you had the tire warmers that are like the eight scale on road style ones. Yeah. So you think the much more ones would probably be like the much better buy? Honestly, I don't. I, okay. I don't run for either one of them. Honestly, yeah. they there's not much difference in the boxes. But the fact that you okay. can buy the much more ones with the correct bands and you don't have to go out and buy a separate separate purchase, I mean, it's kind of a, a no-brainer. But every every set of tire warmers that I've seen, I've seen it one from a Exceed, much more, and a GT Power. You put them next to each other, and they're they're kind of like some of the uh, like the G Force Ride Height uh, um, Spring Testers and like the Four Corner Scales. There's like five yeah. companies that all have the same exact product with a different logo. Yep. Mm-hmm. In my experiences, that's kind of what I've seen in the tire warmers, and so it, I don't think it really matters as long as you know you have the right size band for your application. Okay. Yeah, I I want to get a set. I just, I need to just do it. Because I've been um, using a heat gun. And yeah, me too. Like, it just isn't, I don't think it's as consistent. And Alex, it looks like a Cheech and Chong movie <laughs> over in his pit. You know, and so that's that's why I like the tire warmers. It's just easier. It's cleaner. I have this conception that it's healthier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know, who knows? Uh, <laughs> heck, I've been, like, breathing tire goop for, since I was, like, three, so... I, mean, I don't know how much how much I, I can really be saved. How many tracks are in Colorado now? I mean, a ten scale. Wasn't there one in like Grand Forks or something like that? Um, there was there was a track uh, a while ago, uh, Grand Junction. Grand Junction. There you go. Uh, I yeah. want to say they've been closed for at least five or six years. Oh really? Uh, and they, um, I think the majority of the guys that did that have moved into a. Uh, it's like a rifle, um, rifle Colorado is kind of a, a junctioning city. Um, and so they have like an a rifle RC club and they actually built a really nice, like eight scale track outside. Oh, cool. And they had been holding some eight scale races in the winter inside of like, a um, a big riding arena type location. Um, and Chad was actually helping put on a race there, but then, uh, two winters ago, they put a ton of sand in there. And kind of was that the service. redneck rash nationals? Yeah, that was the one. And then uh, they put added a ton of sand for the horses, I guess, in the dirt to make mm. it softer, and totally ruined it for what we were using it for, or Great. what they were using it for. Um, as far as ten scale tracks, it's pretty much more, which is kind of sad. Every so often, there'll be like a new startup, like carpet off road track, and it always seems like it's in Pueblo, on um, the southern part of the state. Mm-hmm. They never really stick around. It's just kind of like old office carpet type deal, kind of that in between, maybe not full fledged racetrack, but not, you know, not just a place for back. You kind of in that in between group, I guess. Um, and they yeah. just never quite seem to make it. I was going to ask you if you've ever been to the E Team Hobbyplex. It's probably a two hour and 45 minute drive. And oh. for me, with more being 
a lot closer and having Dustin there, you know, Dustin's the fastest guy in Colorado by a mile. You know, he's one of the, you know, top five, maybe electric guys in the nation. So I need to go where the fastest guy is. If I'm ever, if I'm ever going to take that next step. And then we have a couple of eight scale tracks that are kind of built at motocross facilities or that kind of thing that are more of a, a club type deal, I guess is the best way to put it. The E-team hobby flex thing. We were going to trademark hobby flex in more States than just Kansas and Nebraska. And he ended up not doing it. And then there was an E-team hobby flex. I got yelled at once on RC tech by somebody who, uh, I was promoting some race at the flex, like way back in like 2012 or something like that. And somebody from over there, like in the comment, you know, the next, it was RC tech. So it's like the next, you know, mm-hmm. thing or whatever it was like, man, you guys just ripped off her name. Didn't you? And I was like, um, no, it's actually kind of the other way around, but we'll just, we'll just let it go from there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They stole our name. <laughs> will. Will's always willing to poke the bear. Yeah, I will. I'll tell it like it is. Zeke, who are you sponsored by? Let's get that out of the way. Uh, so TLR. Yep. So TLR and Horizon Hobby uh, Spectrum. It's kind of the, the servo package and that, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I've been with ProLine probably longer than anybody. Daniel was one of the first people that really, really stepped up and gave me like, you know, going back to what Will was saying, like a real sponsorship, like real support. Daniel really was like the first one that kind of stepped up and, and, and supported me there. Avid RC, I've got to know David pretty well uh, now that Avid is actually here in, in Denver. Right. So um, got to know David pretty well. And so Avid, the RC Life guys, kind of uh, worked with them to make some parts on our 224, the, 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 belt, the belt car, to kind of extend the life on that. There was a few of us that kind of had a part in making that car, I guess, uh, as successful as it was for as long as it was. You know, it was never designed for slicks and high bite that we kind of seemed to only race on now. Burn it with fire. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it was good on specific services. You know, pretty much every big race now is on slicks. Yeah. And high bite and a car with that high of CG. And it just, you know, it was time. Yeah. For sure. Even the belts just li- surviving that kind of torture on an, uh, an unslipping surface with that much power. I mean, it, it just like the, it just wasn't evolved enough, you know, for what yeah. we were doing with it or what you guys are doing with it. And then uh, this year I'm actually doing the ultimate engines and those have been absolutely awesome. And it's kind of a shame that right as our eight scale season was really getting going, everything kind of gets shut down. So um, haven't really got to to race with those. And then uh, uh, new for this year was Team Powers. So it's not a super well-known electric company. It actually, Kyle Layton is the team manager, and he actually won the Nationals when it was at the Hobbyplex. Yeah. Running all their stock stuff. And so ever since I left Associated, I've been kind of looking for a home for my electric program. Wanted to, you know, kind of find a, a role or with a team that I was more than just a driver. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've known Kyle pretty well for five or six years running, you know, going to different races and stuff. And we've always really got along and, and, uh, Kyle kind of mentioned that he would uh, be open to have me on the team. And it's been awesome. Sweet. You know, my first weekend he drove down, 
um, like four hours and met me at uh, OCRC when I went out to run with Friend for, you know, a week or so and kind of got me all dialed in on electronics. And we've been working on settings and, you know, it's a pretty cliche thing whenever anybody switches that, oh, this is the best blank, blank, blank I've ever ran. You know, it's like the, the, the next sentence that comes out. But I've been pleasantly surprised with how good the Speedo is. The brakes are amazing. I've never felt like I had brakes this strong. They didn't lock up the tires. I've been really happy with, with that. And I mean, let's face it. You put a seven, five in a two wheel drive. You're not going to, you're not going to have a lack of power. Yeah. And so it's more about drivability in mod. And I've been mm-hmm. pleasantly surprised with all of their stuff for sure. Usable horsepower. That's what I call it. Exactly. Yep. I feel like I've never had so much horsepower in my car or so much brakes in my car and still felt like it was drivable. All right. Well, um, do you have a kickstart or what, Alex? Do you not have a kickstart? Well, the thing is, is I was, I don't want to interrupt Zeke the way I interrupt mm-hmm. you. Okay. And, yeah. uh, and I'm going back to the track to build the track. And so now I have a perfectly good new, fresh kickstart in my hands waiting for me to crack it open. I don't really want to crack it open. This might be the first show in which I don't crack one open. It is actually. Yeah, it is. Um, it's going to be the first show. So. We should do a new ad, like a new thing. Have you ever listened to our show before Zeke? I haven't actually. Ah, I know. Oh, I should have lied and said yes. No, we got a whole bunch That's of fine. we got a whole it, bunch of okay. things we usually do. Yeah, but anyway, so hey, uh, hey, we can do it with Lacroix. I'm drinking a Lacroix right now, a non-alcoholic <laughs> white claw. So I'll just I'll do it. Ah, sparkling. That's what Alex does with the kickstarts. <laughs> well, I've seen Alex with the kickstarts. Oh, everybody's seen I'm so fat. It's a required thing if you're racing at the Plex. Like you're gonna see him, see him with one. You, you should do a, a kickstart Mountain Dew body. Like if you race a short course ever again, Alex. Uh, I'll never race a short like course should be ever your, again. You should, you should do a scale body or something, yeah. or a, a realistic body. I could do one for my crawler. That'd be kind of cool. Make hell I'll have uh, Bob or Kevin do that. Yeah, do that. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? All right, we got to go. So, Zeke, we appreciate you uh, coming on with us. You're only our second guest ever. Well, thank you. We got somebody on in a timely fashion, too, because uh, the news just dropped about the team manager spot. I think it was last last week, last Monday or something like that. I think it's good to see TLR kind of, what's that called when you sp- you put out work for other people to do delegate delegate. There you go. Thank you. That's uh, uh, yeah, it's good to see them <laughs> delegate some <laughs> of that stuff down and uh, to regional team managers. Now I think this would be a really good thing. It'll get people a lot more uh, closer to the people they need to talk to. And I know you're going to do a really good job because that's what you do. Well, I appreciate it. The only other thing that uh, I guess I have to say is that, uh, is we kind of got sidetracked there, but uh, uh, Bradley farmer, uh, Bradley fine Designs has been doing my bodies for the last few years. Oh yeah. And he's, yeah. that's gotta be like the, that's gotta be like the worst job in RC. It's yeah. just taking orders for painted bodies. And he always comes through for me. And, uh, whether it's, you know, a two day turnaround, cause I get a body right before the reedy race, like it happened a couple of years ago, um, or whatever, but he's always, he's always taking care of me. So I did, I wanted to make sure that I didn't forget him. Oh yeah. Can't forget that. It's awesome. Yeah. He does a lot of good work for a lot of good people. I see his bodies, uh, Posted on Facebook all the time, so and Instagram. Yep. 
Again, thank you very much for coming on. I'm out of here. Will? See you on the flip-flop. Thank <laughs> you.